I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Let us read our scripture today. Just to remind you where we are, we have been studying the book of Daniel, um, but we're in the second half of Daniel now, which is real crazy. Um, It gets real crazy in the second half. We call it, it's apocalyptic in nature. The words are, stories are very um, fantastical, and we are reading it alongside Revelation to help us understand it a little bit better. So from Daniel 8 today, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that had appeared to me at first. In the vision, I was looking and saw myself in Susa, the capital, in the province province of Elam, and I was by the river of Ulai. And I looked up, and I saw a ram standing beside the river, and it had two horns. Both horns were long, but one was longer than the other, and the longer one came up second. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. All beasts were powerless to withstand it, and no one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became strong. As I was watching, a male goat appeared from the west, coming across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. The goat had a horn between its eyes. 
it came toward the ram with the two horns that I had seen standing beside the river, and it ran at it with savage force. I saw it approaching the ram. It was enraged against it and struck the ram, breaking its two horns. The ram did not have power to withstand it. It threw the ram down to the ground and trampled upon it, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from its power. Then the male goat grew exceedingly great, but at the height of its power, the great horn was broken, and in its place there came up four prominent horns toward the four winds of heaven. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I tried to understand it, falling into a trace, face to the ground. Then I felt a touch, and a voice said, Listen, I will tell you what will take place later in the period of wrath, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. The male goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between its eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken in the place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from this nation, but not with his power. At the end of their rule, when the transgressions have reached their full measure, a king of bold countenance shall arise, skilled in intrigue. He shall grow strong in power, shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does. He shall destroy the powerful and the people of the holy ones by his cunning. He shall make deceit prosper under the hand, and in his own mind he shall be great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and shall even rise up against the prince of princes, but he shall not be broken, or, but he shall be broken and not by human hands. And then from Revelation, then one of the seven angels had had the seven bowls, um, that, who had had the seven bowls, came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great whore who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and with the wine of those fornication, the inhabitants of the earth have become drunk. So he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of um, abominations and the impurities of her fornication, and on her forehead was written a name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of whores and of earth's um, abominations. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly amazed. But the angel said to me, why are you so amazed? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not in is about to ascend from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will be amazed when they see the beast, because it was, and is not, and is to come. <laughs> this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Does it make you uncomfortable that this is the word of God? Does it? Well, good. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> good. Um, well, it, you know, it's fun to be um, a part of a church that um, does not just uh, say, you know, those things are in the Bible, but we're not going to tell you what they mean or why they're there. Um, instead, let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it means and why it's there. Um, so I want to start today, uh, here's your, with a riddle, with a riddle. What do Adolf Hitler, the Pope, and Oprah Winfrey have in common? Anybody want to, this is participatory. What do Adolf Hitler, the Pope, 
and Oprah Winfrey have in common? Influencers, fame, okay, good. Those are, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they definitely have those in common. Also, um, Adolf Hitler, the Pope, and Oprah Winfrey, they all have been accused at some point in time of being the Antichrist, all of them. <laughs> the Antichrist, do you all know this term? Like, have you heard it said before? Okay, does it make you uncomfortable? Maybe, okay. Um, so the Antichrist, um, it's this popular idea that has creeped not, in not only into the imagination of like religion, but into movie theaters and novelists, take it and run with it. Um, it kind of just seeps into the air we breathe. We talk about it, and we don't even actually know if we believe it, but we've said we, we will throw a that word out occasionally. Um, that it's just in our culture. Whether you're, you're sitting on a pew in Sunday morning or lounging at a Starbucks somewhere on sun Sunday morning, like most people have heard this term. Antichrist, you may not even know who, who fully Christ is. People out there may not know the story of Jesus, really, but they might have heard that term. As we entered into the second half of Daniel now, um, and we are intentionally reading it next to the book of Revelation, we've talked about this genre of biblical writing called apocalyptic texts. And this includes the second half of Daniel, the book of Revelation, some things that Jesus said even are apocalyptic texts. And, and we said that, that these are not meant to be some kind of cryptic prediction of the end of days, but rather they are a word, a message for, for a moment in time for a people who are being oppressed. Last week, we talked about how these texts are laden also with symbolism. Y'all got that completely, right? Like, you knew exactly what it was talking about. You got that whole story? Yeah, like, right? Like, it's laden with symbolism, and just reading it will not be enough. It just, it will not be enough. And it can be misinterpreted in such dangerous ways. And today, we pivot towards this notion, that word was not in either text, but this notion of an antichrist. So where does it come from? Where does, it, where does it come from? Does scripture actually say there is an antichrist? Should we be on the lookout for an antichrist? And if so, how, how do we even recognize them? Who are these people? Will, will, they be, will they look like Hitler? Will they look like the Pope? Will they look like, will they look like Oprah Winfrey? Dan, Daniel says he will be winsome, but Revelation calls her the whore of Babylon. How will we recognize her or him? And like, is it like if she rises, is it like some sorceress or some witch rising to power? This, this, first of all, this notion of the Antichrist, it comes from a very, very particular theological construct called Darbyanism. And so Darby is this guy, um, and he has some followers now. It's about 150 years old, this thought process. And it's actually had this resurgence in the last 25 to 30 years. Um, and this is the theological construct that undergirds the books and movies of like Left Behind series. I don't know if anybody has ever knows what those are. The Left Behind series is made up of Darbyanism. Um, anybody who knows these books or have seen this movie, you know, this is what undergirds it. And at the heart of Darbyanism is this notion that there is an antichrist. And the belief is that within this, there, there will come to power, if you, if you don't know the whole story, the belief for Darby, Darby is that there will come to power a person who is 
in their very being, antithetical to the person of Jesus. And here's how it plays out. God will allow this Antichrist, apparently, to reign for a thousand years. They are winsome and convincing, and they'll have a huge following. And they will, once they have... um, have attracted a certain amount of people, God will extract from the earth those who remained faithful and did not submit to the power and um, the, the, the winsomeness of this Antichrist. Reign on earth for 1,000 years, and then Jesus will eventually come back. That's how the story goes. Jesus will come back in some epic clash like Lord of the Rings. Jesus will come and oust the Antichrist from power, and peace will reign again. So is this what we believe? Maybe. Is this what you believe? Have you heard something like this before, maybe? Yeah? Maybe you heard it, and uh, you aren't sure what to think of it, but you haven't been given an alternative So it kind of just hangs in the back of your mind as maybe that's what she means when she says Jesus will come again. Every week when we gather here, we talk about the end. So like every time we gather at this table, every single time we gather at this table, we pray for God's spirit and we say that we believe in the mystery of faith that Christ died, Christ rose, and Christ will come back. We envision together and believe together in the second coming of Jesus. We talk about that and um, that God's going to set this beautiful feast for all God's people. Every week we reflect on the feast, we reflect on this good news, and we talk about the end, the end of days. (laughs) And every time we receive new members into the life of the church, we say the creed together. Every time we baptize people, when our confirmands confirmed their faith, we spoke those words, I believe that Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead. We say that every time. And when we say we believe these things, is, is this what we're talking about? Should we be watching out for an antichrist as some sign of Jesus' coming, as a sign of the end? Is Jesus going to come back and fight Oprah one day? And the answer is yes and no. So we're going to start with the no. One of the main problems with the word antichrist is this article, the in front of it, or the, before Antichrist, as, as though this is a singular person. Daniel 8 and Revelation 17 are some of the key texts that people use to defend, defend this position of an Antichrist. Both of them talk about it a little bit differently, but it's the same. And Daniel and John and God are, are maybe giving us clues as to what to look for in this person Daniel speaks of these clashing animals, of ram and of goat, and the goat seems to win in the end, I think. And, and, and John speaks of a whore of Babylon. This whore is singular. And, and these, for the Darbyists, become the kind of blueprint and, and prototype of which we um, were looking out for this kind of person, what the, these texts say. Daniel has a singular goat, and John in Revelation, a singular person, and they, they start laying out their, the, the series of who this person might be. And there's all this strange imagery and these symbols. Last week we talked about the symbols. We said there are numbers and colors and, and, and beasts. And, and they're all super helpful to know what those are, what those symbols mean, if you're going to read through these texts. And, and John calls the Antichrist the harlot of Babylon. But you see, John could not be more clear in his own mind, 
and his readers at that time could have not been more clear in their minds what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was talking about. John was not talking about a particular person rising to power. John was talking about Rome, the power of their day. John uses the language of Daniel's Babylon, the whore of Babylon, to talk about Rome. Did you notice the harlot that John talks about sits on top of seven mounds? Anybody know any history about Rome? The city of seven hills, right? It sits on top of seven hills. Rome was built on seven hills. You cannot miss that symbolism in this text. And this whore sitting on, on seven mounds is just throwing herself out to anybody, promising power and prosperity, and she's drunk, it says, and she's intoxicated, and she's intoxicating. And anyone who, as Daniel uses, fornicates with her, gets involved with this beast, this Rome, that sits on seven hills, will be intoxicated too. You see the symbolism? Here's what was at stake for John and John's people. The emperor Domitian was sitting on the throne of power in Rome at this time, and he demanded that everyone worship him as the embodiment of God on earth. And if you wanted to participate in any of the things in the kingdom, you had to worship him. Now, this went far beyond religious expectations. This took flesh in the economy. If you wanted to shop in his markets, you had to say he was God. If you wanted to climb the ladder of social status, you had to bend the knee to, to Emperor Domitius. And now six weeks into the book of Daniel, this should sound very familiar to you now that you can see why John picked up Daniel's writing, right? Daniel found himself under the oppression of a whole other empire. For, for Domitian, it went way beyond religious expectations. It affected the economy. And now Christians had a problem with this because we believe someone else is in power. Someone had, someone had taught us to pray for daily bread, not manipulate others for it. Domitian said, if you worship me, I'll give you security. You, we have the strongest army in the world. But Christians have been taught that our future security was not based in some army, but in resurrection. Even if, even if we, we die, God wins in the end. And so these early Christians, as Domitian started laying down these rules, they started watching their economies and their, their future security shrink up around them. Some of them lost their lives, their houses, their shopping rights in the market, and after enough time goes by, the, the Christians start to wonder, is this, is this even worth it? I mean, look, look at these other people who, who are not Christians. They seem to be happy. They seem to be successful. And so, so Christians started bowing out of worshiping Jesus, choosing other ways, and they started bending their lives towards the state and instead of, instead of the kingdom of God. And, and John and Daniel... <laughs> warn us of the intoxicating temptation of that. At the heart of Daniel's vision and John's revelation is that power and security is found only in the person of Jesus, only. And, and, and what they give us is this picture of what the Antichrist is in their day so that we might be able to identify what an Antichrist is in our day. It's kind of like Justin Bieber. Um, 
like we've seen this guy before, right? Like different hair, different name, different style, different decade. But like we've all seen this guy in other decades. He's like a clone of others, different haircut though, right? Like we recognize him and we shake our heads and like we roll our eyes at whatever news story comes out because we've seen him before in some other embodiment. John is doing the same thing with the harlot of Babylon, as he calls it, giving us the same picture, the one we have seen before and the one we will see again has power and security and social success and upward mobility, and it's in Caesar's market. And because we are a part of a people called church then, we've seen this before. We know this. We know this story. We should be able to recognize it when it shows up again, as our call to worship said earlier. What what do we do when we gather here for worship? The purpose of gathering is to remember, to repent, and to repair. The remembering... When we gather here, we remember, and we should be able to recognize it again. And so do we believe in an antichrist? Do we believe in the antichrist? Well, the answer is no. The answer is no. No, we do not believe there is one person who will come and take over and reign over all the world. And before long, you know, you're pledging your allegiance to them, and then there's Jesus comes back after that. We do not believe in that story. We do not believe there is one person who will come and reign over the world. But do we believe in antichrists? You better believe it. We know them. We see them. We are tempted by them. When we get near them, it's intoxicating. Your head starts to spin a bit. Your your head gets clouded. And before long, you're pledging your life to something that brings no life to you at all. A couple moved to the suburbs because they have always dreamed of having a nice big yard. And their family is growing, and they now want a dog, and they want a place for their kids to play. And so they go online, and they check the schools in this new area, and the schools in the area are perfect, nationally renowned schools. And they decide, we're just going to go look. We're, gonna go, we're, gonna, we're not going to buy. We're going to go look, though. We're going to go look. And they, they go, and they take a look at the, a model home, and as they walk in the door, it smells, it smells good, and it's laid out perfectly, and they can imagine their kids playing there, and it feels right. And their heads start spin, and it's intoxicating. And so the couple decides they can, they can stretch a bit. You know, like, we weren't going to buy, but, like, really, can we, let's reevaluate our budget. We can stretch a bit. They stretch the budget, and they stretch lifestyle a bit so that they can finally be in the place that they've always dreamed of, and they can finally be happy. And the bank somehow gets wrapped up in this, and they, it, the bank is intoxicated by it as well, and they, they loan them way more money than they could ever pay back. And before long, they're strapped and, and, and stretched, and they're working way longer hours than they ever were before so that they could pay for this house, And they're not spending time together anymore, and they're not spending time with their kids anymore, and they've pledged their allegiance now to a complete lie, because happiness does not reside in the better zip code and or a bigger house. A man in his 40s is in the prime of his life, and he's taking all the right steps. He's getting the right promotions, working his way up until one day out of the blue, It's on a Friday. It's always a Friday, right? They let him go, 
and suddenly everything he based his whole life on is gone. It, his worth, his energy, his time has been wrapped up in, in this corporation and in his role there, and it's like his life depended on it, and it's like it's all gone. And he's embarrassed, and he's hurt, and he's angry, and he's scared, and he, he, he turns to the bottle to help him sleep better because his mind is spinning. All the, the, the intoxicating um, thoughts of, of the next job and, or what people think of him or what now. And before long, he's waking up and also, also drinking then on the way to work now, on the way to go look for another job. And just, just, it just gets going, and it's the cycle, and before long, he's trapped in his own living hell because a false god has claimed his allegiance, and he does not know where to turn. And the same thing happens in marriages and relationships when people think the grass is greener somewhere else, and they step outside, and then they realize that that's never going to satisfy and what they're looking for, that completion or that security or that fulfillment, they're never going to find there because those spirits are antithetical to the way of Jesus. The claim of the church is that the wisdom of God, life and happiness and wholeness and meaning is found in the way of Jesus. And anything outside of that can be an antichrist. Anything that promises fulfillment or wholeness or security that is antithetical to the way of Jesus, Daniel and John say, watch out. It's a lie. It may feel right, but you will find no wisdom in that. And God calls people like us. God calls us saints, which is what we're going to talk about next week um, in the next part of Daniel. God calls us saints. We'll talk more about that. But these people who refuse to pledge their life to anything but Christ, those people who can discern what is antithetical to Jesus, can point it out, can sniff it out, can know before it intoxicates them and pledges their life to that work of remembering and repenting and repairing. You, you all are the people who have had your imagination enlivened, your senses intoxicated by the life of Jesus instead. That's what this does, and nothing else will do. And so the invitation of John and Daniel, the invitation from God for us today is if we're willing to do it, to, to let go of the other stuff, to turn away from the allure, the other promises, and to chase God alone. Let's pray. God, if we're honest, every one of us is smitten by things that are not you. We have all become intoxicated. We can bring to mind those things right now, those things that we have put our security in. We remember that there have been people long before us who have done the same. We pay attention to, to their struggle and the antichrists that have crept up in their lives. And now today we repent. We remember and we repent, noticing that even though we're your people, the ones that are supposed to notice, the ones that are supposed to be able to recognize the pattern, we still have become intoxicated. And we move today, God, towards repairing, repairing our own lives. If, if, if we can identify right now in our mind and in our heart what is antithetical to Jesus in our life, by your grace, God, you invite us into repairing that. And we cannot do that on our own. We do that in community, and we do that by returning over and over and over again to your table 
where we, f- we can feast on your grace. God, we want to remember and repent and then repair our lives. We want to turn towards you. And we also remember those people in our lives that are, that are not, not our personal walk with you, but people who, who don't even know where to begin. We can so obviously acknowledge in their lives the antichrist that are ruling them, like pressing down on them, intoxicating them, telling them lies that aren't true. And we pray for them as well, that you, by your grace, you'd guide them towards a place where they can turn towards your promise instead. We pray all of this together in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. into the sea when the oceans roar their troubled song when the nations rage when there is no peace and the cries of war are loud and strong